Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, November 29th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news, and in a new segment of Life Advice Corner with Chris Evangelista, we're going to answer a question about lying to your friends. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me on today's episode are Slash Film managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, so let's start off with some breaking news, and Jacob, why don't you tell us about the Blue Beetle movie that's in the works? Uh, yeah, The Wrap is reporting that Warner Brothers is developing a Blue Beetle movie based on the DC Comics character. And if you don't know who the Blue Beetle is, you're not alone. He's not a major character. So I'm I'm imagining Warner Brothers looking at how Marvel has turned all these sort of second-string superheroes into major stars and saying, how can we do that? And the Blue Beetle is actually a good place to start with that. Um, he can best be summed up as Iron Man meets Spider-Man. He has the very cool, slick armor, but he also is a teenager with angst and responsibilities. And there's also some more about him, but to get to that, I need to give a little bit of uh, background about who the Blue Beetle is. Hey, hey Ben, uh, you should grab a snack for this one. It's, it's, a, little, <laughs> it's a little long-winded. Okay. Uh, but in order to understand the Blue Beetle, you have to understand that he uh, existed before DC Comics existed. It was called DC Comics. He was originally a character named Dan Garrett, very much a, a pulp character in line with the Shadow and Doc Savage. He had a mystical scarab. Uh, item that gave him powers, and he fought evil and fought crime. And then years after that, uh, Ted Kord in the actual DC universe took over as a Blue Beetle, took up the mantle, um, wore a similar costume. But unlike his predecessor, he did not have uh, superpowers. He uh, was just a very wealthy, uh, science uh, science smart <laughs> man who uh, was able to build all of his gadgets, build lots of vehicles, and think his way out of all of his situations. Sort of like Batman without all the depressing dead parent stuff. He was <laughs> very much very upbeat, very positive character. He's very he's very popular. And only in recent years has uh, Jamie Reyes taken over as Blue Beetle. And right now we're back to the magical scarab, where he encounters a scarab item from beyond who knows where. It attaches to his spine, and suddenly he can... Uh, enter this suit of armor that has all kinds of special powers, learns that it's from outer space, learns that it's made by evil aliens who want to take over Earth, and he has to, you know, use his great power to do great responsible things. And this new movie will be about Jamie Reyes. It'll be about the character who is currently the Blue Beetle in the comics, who's currently on the Young Justice animated series. And this is cool for several reasons. Uh, one, the comic book nerd in me likes this because 
Jamie Ray is, is not operating in a vacuum in the DC universe right now. Uh, Ted Kord, the previous Blue Beetle, the very smart, non-superpowered one, has sort of been his mentor. He's been sort of teaching, teaching him how to superhero, <laughs> giving him gadgets, giving him advice. There's a really fun, you know, um, mentor-mentee dynamic between the two of them that I think the movie should tap into and I hope to tap into and is maybe just suggests, hey, Blue Beetle's always been here in this universe. And here's this new kid who takes up the name, and the old one comes by to you know offer him some advice. It's sort of like Shades of Batman Beyond, almost. Yeah, Batman Beyond, or even uh, Ant-Man with uh, the two Ant-Man and um, Hank Pym and Scott Lang. Uh, I, I I love the idea of you know uh, every every couple of decades a new superhero gets the uh, armor or the suit and the new title, but the other one gets to hang around, and give them advice. I actually really love that. <laughs> um, but the other cool thing is that uh, Jamie Reyes uh, would be the first lead Hispanic or Latino superhero in a movie like this, both Marvel or DC. I mean, there there have been Latino characters in DC movies before. There was Diablo and Suicide Squad, and there will be um, Rosie Perez as uh, um, Rene Montoya in um, Birds of Prey. Uh, but we're living in the era of Black Panther and Wonder Woman, where people are starting to make it very clear hey, superhero companies, we're, we like to see superheroes who look like us, who aren't just more white guys. So it's both a, a smart decision, a fiscal decision on Warner Bros. part to realize that, hey, we can be the first one in with Latino audiences, but also it's the, the moral decision of realizing that, hey, representation matters no matter what the internet uh, comment boards tell you. Uh, so, uh, Ben, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, obviously the diversity aspect is a really cool thing. I think, you know, we're seeing that also with like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which has a, a half black, half Hispanic lead in the character of Miles Morales. So this is, uh, this is, it seems like we're heading in the right direction in terms of superhero representation, finally, after so many years of just like sort of quasi-boring white guys. Um, Chris, what do you think about this? Uh, I don't know anything about the character, but this sounds interesting. It sounds cool. It sounds a little bit like Ant-Man, but... Uh, beyond that, I, I like the, the diversity angle and, you know, even though I am a little burned out on superhero movies, uh, I'm always up for being surprised by a good one. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to our next item. And that is a Dear Evan Hansen movie that is, uh, based on the popular musical. Chris, tell us about that one. Uh, yeah, Dear Evan Hansen, the, the hit Broadway musical from the the team that wrote uh, music uh, for La La Land and The Greatest Showman is now getting a movie adaptation. And Stephen Chbosky, who directed uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and he also wrote that novel, is in negotiations to helm the film. And uh, this this is one of those things that seems like inevitable because uh, Dear Evan Hansen is a, is a pretty big hit. It has a pretty big cultural footprint, uh, and that's something a lot of Broadway musicals don't really have. You know, obviously everyone knows about Hamilton, but a lot of a lot of Broadway musicals they open and they close in like two months, and they're never heard of again. So for something like this to last, this opened in 2016 and it's still going strong, and it won a bunch of Tony Awards. Uh, you know, when that happens, it's only a matter of time before uh, Hollywood comes calling, and that's what happened. So, for those who don't know, what is this musical about? Uh, Dear Aaron Hansen is about uh, this teenager. He has uh, anxiety disorder, and one of his uh, his schoolmates kills himself. And uh, this main character, Evan Hansen, makes up a lie, basically saying he and this suicide uh, victim were best friends, and 
the suicide victim's parents believe it and they welcome him into his home. And as you can imagine, this will eventually lead to uh, complications because he's he's basically emotionally using these people uh, by, you know, lying about this and feeling conflicted about it. So it's not exactly uh, a happy sort of thing, even though it's got like funny moments in it. But, you know, it has a very uh, dark undercurrent to it. So you've never seen the show, but you've listened to the soundtrack for this one, right? Yeah, I, I haven't seen the show. The, the music is really good. I mean, there are a few songs that are forgettable, but there are a lot of uh, really good uh, numbers in, in this show. So it's got that going for it. And Jacob, you've also heard the soundtrack? Yeah, I have a slight grudge against this show because it uh, beat out Natasha Pierre and Great Combat 1812 at the, at the Tonys. <laughs> but it's still it's a very, very good show. The music is very good. And... Uh, Unlike a lot of musicals, it is set very thoroughly in the here and now. It's a full-fledged, full-throated, big-hearted musical uh, that's about events and situations and concepts that are unique to the to this era of the 21st century, which is extremely rare. So I'm excited to see that relayed in a musical. Very cool. So the 2019 Sundance Film Festival uh, lineup was announced yesterday, and uh, Slash Film is going to be at Sundance again, covering all sorts of reviews and probably some interviews and stuff as well. Uh, Chris, I think this is going to be your first time because you tried going last year and then ended up getting really sick, right? Yeah, I got I got deathly ill right before uh, I was supposed to go, so I couldn't make it. And then Peter got injured. It was a bad year for Slash Film at Sundance, and ho- hopefully that won't happen again in 2019. It was. You're gearing up for round two. I'm going to be there, and I think Brad is going to be there as well, covering for the team. So uh, we sort of poured through the uh, the lineup that was released yesterday of like over 100 movies, and I um, I ended up pulling out about 10 of them to highlight and just sort of uh, put on people's radar. And I'm not going to talk about all of them. I encourage everybody to go to SlashFilm.com, check out the full article for this. But I just wanted to, to mention three movies here that um, that particularly interested me and, and just to sort of get your guys' take on them uh, as we go through here. So one of them is called Velvet Buzzsaw, and it is from Dan Gilroy, who is the director and screenwriter of this movie. He uh, wrote and directed Nightcrawler, the 2014 movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And this movie also reunites him with Jake Gyllenhaal The synopsis is a thriller set in the contemporary art world scene of Los Angeles where big money artists and mega collectors pay a high price when art collides with commerce. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, and Tony Collette, uh, and also Natalia Dyer, who is from Stranger Things. She plays the... uh one of the old the older sister character i don't remember her name at this moment but uh anyway it's got a pretty good cast and a kind of a cool concept i'm excited about the reunion between joan hall and uh and dan gilroy what do you guys think any uh, uh chris one uh, chris are you gonna put this one on your radar is this something you're gonna try to see while you're there uh, yes, I am. This is definitely uh, in like my top of the of the thing. I I loved Nightcrawler. I love the idea of Gilroy and Gyllenhaal reuniting. The only thing that gives me pause is I really did not like Dan Gilroy's second movie, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Oh, yeah. It was not good, and I'm hoping that was just a case of like sophomore blues, and he comes back strong with the third movie. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, all right, the next one is called The Report, and this is a, a movie from director and screenwriter Scott Z. Burns. Burns is a guy who's become a sort of go-to writer for Steven Soderbergh over the past few years. He wrote the screenplays for Side Effects and Contagion and The Informant. Uh, the 
uh, synopsis for the report is the story of Daniel Jones, lead investigator for the U.S. Senate's sweeping study into the CIA's detention and interrogation program, which was found to be brutal, immoral, and ineffective. With the truth at stake, Jones battled tirelessly to make the public uh, to make public what many in power sought to keep hidden. And this one has arguably one of the best casts of any movie at Sundance this year. It's led by Adam Driver, Annette Bening is in it, John Hamm, Ted Levine, Maura Tierney, and Michael C. Hall round out that cast. So the world premiere of that movie is going to be there, and Soderbergh is actually producing this one too. Um, Jacob, are you interested in this? I think uh, I think Netflix has picked this movie up. Is that right? Is this a, is this one of the Netflix ones? Um, yeah, I believe Netflix grabbed this one, uh, and it sounds interesting. I like I like everyone in that cast. Uh, I think someone on, on, on Slash Film Slack joke, it sounds like, we would like an Oscar, the movie, <laughs> based on between that cast and that subject matter. But it, uh, yeah, um, bring me all of the historical dramas. You know, fill me up with them. I want them. Very cool. And then the last one I wanted to mention is a movie called Late Night. And this one is written by Mindy Kaling, and it's uh, from The Office. And it stars Mindy and um, uh, Emma Thompson. And it's set in the world of late night TV. Uh, the premise is legendary late night talk show host's world is turned upside down when she hires her only female staff writer. Originally intended to smooth over diversity concerns, her decision has unexpectedly hilarious consequences as the, as the two women separated by culture and generation are united by their love of a biting punchline. And this one stars, again, Emma Thompson, Mindy Kaling, John Lithgow, Paul Walter Hauser, who has broken out in a big way over the past few years in movies like I, Tanya, and uh, Reed Scott and Amy Ryan. And I know Brad is really excited about this as our sort of resident comedy guy. And this uh, obviously this movie is set in the, the world of late night comedy. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about this. The the cast and the writer and everything. It sounds pretty great. Uh, Nisha Ganatra, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, is directing. And she's directed a bunch of episodes of TV shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I think she directed an episode of The Mindy Project. I assume maybe that's how she and Mindy hooked up uh, originally uh, she's directing this one so um yeah that one that sounds pretty cool i'm looking forward to it and again go to slashfilm.com and check out the full list of all of the movies that are going to be playing at sundance uh, or at least the first wave the, the major first wave of announcements there's like some shorts and stuff that are going to be announced a little bit later on but uh, in the meantime let's talk about a24 and canopy chris tell us what's going on here a lot of people probably don't even know what canopy is so fill us in on this uh, yeah, so this is a, a sad week for streaming because uh, this is the end of Filmstruck. Actually, today is Filmstruck's final day, and that sucks because Filmstruck was great. But if you were a Filmstruck user and you're you're lamenting its loss, uh, I recommend you check out Canopy. Canopy is actually a free streaming service that you can sign up for through your library. Uh, there's a catch. Not every library hosts it but if you go to the canopy website you can enter your area code it'll tell you if the the library near you uh you know hosts it and if they do it's literally free and they have a really great selection and they actually just added every single a24 film that's you know available on home video you know the ones in theaters aren't there obviously but every home video available a24 film is now available to stream on there literally for free so uh, and they also have a really good um, criterion selection. Um, you know, I, I, Filmstruck was ultimately better, you know, because you were paying for it and you were getting more stuff. But, uh, you know, it's hard to beat free. So I, I'd recommend checking this out. And just for people who might not immediately know the, the movies of A24, the library, uh, what are some of the standout movies that they've produced? Oh, man. I mean, you know, they have Moonlight. They have uh, Under the Skin, which is one of my favorites. Uh, the Witch, Ex Machina. 
uh, Ladybird, uh, pretty much every buzzworthy indie movie in the last like five years has been from A24. They're, they sort of like cornered the market on that. And Chris, I know you're sort of our resident streaming guy. Have you used Canopy a lot? I mean, I, I know you've dabbled in it a little bit, but um, what is the like the UI and all of that? How does it compare to some of the other streaming services out there? Uh, it's pretty good. It's got a simple layout. It's easy to navigate. Um, you know, it's easy to find stuff on there. I'd actually, you know, I hate to say this because I hate to kick something when it's down, but it, it's actually easier to navigate than Filmstruck, which always had a sort of like clunky interface. So uh, it, it's very simple to use. It's 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 good. I, I, I recommend it. I, I've only just recently started using it, but uh, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend everyone try to check it out. Yeah. Free sounds pretty great. Um, our next item is something uh, that is sort of near and dear to the slash film heart. Uh, Jacob, tell us about the console wars becoming a limited series. Uh, yes. The 2015 book console wars is becoming a, as been said, a limited series uh, produced by legendary uh, known network or streaming services attached yet. But, um, on one level, we need to uh, disclose that the author of the book, Console Wars, Blake Harris, is a contributor to Slash Film, which is um, our way of saying, you know, being being responsible at our job, but also a way of saying, hey, congratulations, Blake, this, this is awesome. Congratulations on this happening. Um, this has been in the works for a while. Uh, four years ago, it was going to be a movie written and directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and now it's going to be a uh, series uh, directed by Jordan Vogt Roberts, best known for Kong Skull Island, but also is... Uh, Really uh, nice little indie movie, The Kings of Summer, from 2013. And for those who don't know, Console Wars, it chronicles the rivalry between uh, Sega and Nintendo in the 90s. And Nintendo was, you know, the entrenched veteran company um, with uh, the lion's share of the market and the big name. And Sega was the crazy upstart who had a, uh, a bunch of new leadership who said, hey, let's challenge Nintendo and try to take them down. So if, if you remember the 90s, you remember all these Sonic versus Mario fights and how um, Nintendo was the old stalwart world. Sega was the cool kid coming in trying to break things and crash things. This was the result of this uh, big business rivalry. And those of you who know video game history at all, Sega ultimately flies too close to the sun, which is why Nintendo is still around and Sega is not. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a really, really good story. I have not, I have not read Console Wars. I have a copy. I'm going to read it next now that this has been announced. Um, but... Knowing the highlights of the, of this history and the story, it's sounds like it could be Mad Men, a little bit of Wolf of Wall Street, all those kind of stories of business success and business craziness. But also, there hasn't really been a definitive movie about the video game business. I feel like video game video games as an industry are sort of um, not no one quite understands how how it works outside outside of the actual industry in a way that people understand other businesses and other industries. So I'm really excited to see how Vogt Roberts and this team uh, are able to. Uh, sell how a video game publisher works and how development works and how um, the Mario and Sonic rivalry of the 90s defined how people still deal with video games. We're still, these days, see people are an Xbox fan or they're, or they're a PlayStation fan and you don't find anybody else. And it's this sort of entrenched, disgusting rivalry started here. And it's all, all because of uh, corporate decisions that help define how people still think about video games. So it's actually... 
really really fascinating story but what do you guys think i know i'm the big gamer here but i want to hear what you guys think yeah i this is one of the first uh, the, the sega nintendo battle is one of the first times i can remember participating in anything having to do with brand loyalty as a kid and that was like uh i had a sega genesis so i was just a sega kid i i have not read this book yet but i am you know <laughs> i don't know much about the the inner workings of what was going on with these companies so i'm fascinated to hear especially with like like you're talking about maybe a little bit of Mad Men mixed with Wolf of Wall Street that's like I'm sure there were crazy goings on behind the scenes in the 90s with like so much money and power and and position in the industry in a in a burgeoning industry that was like really um you know starting to get into like the billion dollar you know uh, uh break through those barriers and like really become a force in pop culture um, I'm sure there's so many interesting stories to be told there. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to read this book uh, when I finally get my hands on it. And um, yeah, I think Jordan uh, Vogt Roberts, Vogt Roberts, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce his last name, but he is a really fascinating director to take this on because he's a big fan of video games in his personal life. He's got this Metal Gear Solid movie uh, in the works that he's been trying to, to get made for a long, long time. Um, and I think he was talking about the video game influence even in Kong Skull Island that you can see in that movie with um, you know, references to things like Metal Gear and, and stuff like that, uh, that are actually like baked into the core of him as a storyteller. So, uh, to see him, you know, sort of tackle a video game story like this, a behind the scenes one head on, uh, should be really interesting. But, um, Chris, what do you think? Did you, uh, grow up on either side of that Sega Nintendo divide? Have you, do you have any interest in seeing this kind of movie? Uh, I had Nintendo when I was a kid, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know anything about this, so I actually am kind of curious to just see this because it just be it would be interesting to learn all this stuff that I I really have no real knowledge about. I, I've never you know I've I've played video games, but I've never really thought that much about you know the behind the scenes working. So on that level, I am interested. And yes, as Jacob mentioned, Blake Harris, uh, the the author of the book, has contributed a bunch of stuff to Slash Film over the years. He he's done a lot of great like oral histories of the How Did This Get Made podcast, and and uh, speaking with a lot of the directors and filmmakers who made those awful awful movies, and and got some really cool stories out of those that you can read on SlashFilm.com. Uh, let's move into the advice corner with Chris Evangelista. It's Chris's advice corner. It's Chris's advice. Okay, so this person has withheld their name, but they have written in. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen every day, and I have a question for Chris's Advice Corner. There's a big movie coming out soon that I've been looking forward to for literally years, but things are financially tight for me, so when tickets went on pre-sale, I did not get them immediately, but my friends felt bad for me knowing how much I want to see the movie, so they bought two tickets for me, a very kind gesture, which I was touched by, but unfortunately... They bought me two tickets for a showing at a nearby theater, the only theater in my area that does not have pre-arranged seats. Ever since theaters started this practice, I will not go to a theater that doesn't have it. Waiting in line for who knows how long just to get a good seat now seems like the dark ages to me. So the theater they picked is one I would not normally uh, patronize. Just the thought now of having to get there extra early fills me with anxiety. I have no idea how popular this movie might be, so it might, be, might, might all be okay, or I might end up sitting in the front row or off to the side, or maybe not even able to sit with the person I'm going with uh, in case there aren't two seats in a row. I realize that if I don't go to this screening and I don't 
tell my friends that I'm wasting their money. If I tell them I'm not going and make sure they ask for a refund of their money, then I might insult them. And of course, I don't want to do that. Or do I just suck it up and go? What should I do? Help me, Obi-Wan Evangelista. You're my only hope. Thanks. Name withheld, city withheld, but I am a real person. So uh, quite the conundrum here, Chris. Or is it? What do you think about uh, some advice for this person? Well, name withheld, uh, you can actually return movie tickets. I've done it before where... Uh, you know, I've bought tickets in advance and we, we missed our showing or there's even been times where uh, we've gone into the theater, haven't been able to find a seat and then just gone back out and been like, you know, give me my money back. I, I don't I, I can't find a seat. So you could really just try going to the theater saying, uh, you know, I can't attend this show. Can I have my money back? And they'll give you the money for the tickets and then you could go buy a seat at a theater with a reserved seat. I really think that would work unless your theater is like extremely strict, but I don't know why they would say no, honestly. Interesting. So you're thinking there's a way to, to, for everybody to get what they want and for the friends to never know that this actually happened. Right. Yeah. My, that's the other part of the advice. Lie to your friends forever and never, never tell them <laughs> you did this, but <laughs> you should be able to get away with it. Honestly, you know, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I guess it depends on how <laughs> duplicitous you are. If you have a problem ever telling your friends this, and it, it eats you up inside like like an Edgar Allan Poe character with the heart beating beneath the floor, it might be an issue. But otherwise, I, I think you'll be okay. Uh, Jacob, do you have any uh, any two cents to throw in here? What would you do in this situation? I actually uh, slightly disagree with Chris here. I'm going to break into his advice corner with a sledgehammer and smash the walls. Um, <laughs> I think that if you've been looking forward to this movie for years, like literally years, as you write in your email um, name withheld, um, then uh, getting the movie early, two hours early, make it an event. Bring your your friend or your partner, whoever your second ticket's for, and make it something special. Make a day out of it. Go get some lunch beforehand or plan dinner afterward. Wait for the two hours. Bring games. uh, Bring a book. um, Bring something to keep you and your friend slash partner entertained and talking and having fun. If this is something that you that's so important to you that your friends went out of their way to buy you tickets, then the wait is worth it. Next week or the week after, when you go back to seeing movies regularly, you know, buy your prearranged seats and go about your merry way. But you know, I, I think that you owe it to your friends to see this gesture as something genuinely thoughtful, and you should take advantage of that and build your entire day around it and make it something that you won't forget as opposed to just another day at the movies. That's just, that's what I would do. You can listen to me or Chris. We're both great. All right. Yeah. Seems like you got two valid options there. Um, I think I would, oh man, I don't know. I, I guess I would side with Jacob just on the chance that, that things don't work out. And like the, the idea of having to confront your friends and tell them that you in, ended up whatever situation be, if they, if they went out of their way to get you those tickets, I would make sure to get me those tickets. I would make sure to be in that seat and, and, you know, uh, honor my end of the bargain at least. So, um, I don't know that that's, uh, that's where we stand on this one. So, uh, the advice yeah, corner, if you return the tickets and use that return money, it's like your friends are buying it anyway. You know, it's it's money you wouldn't have had either way. And you're, you know, if you got if you return the tickets, got the money and blew it on something else, right? Like, you know, a fifth of rye or something like that. <laughs> then you know, then you'd be a jerk. But this is, you know, it's just a 
it's a transaction. Yeah, it's just moving. It's just moving you into a, a place where you prefer to see the movie. It's um, like money laundering, basically. <laughs> You're taking the money from one spot and putting it somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. So you've you've heard it here now. So money launder away is the advice from from Chris. And the, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I heard anyway. Um, so thank you to Love You Wally for creating a theme song for Chris's Corner. Uh, and I think that's going to bring us to the end of this edition of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And please uh, please be sure to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or questions for Chris's uh, uh, life advice corner to peter at slashfilm.com. And make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time.